0: Welcome to the Tax Girl podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips or Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. There is a moment in one of my favorite TV shows, Ted Lasso. When Ted remarks to Roy while watching practice, yeah, that's when sports and art combine as far as I'm concerned. Sports and art aren't necessarily two things that you would associate together. But if you think that's stretch, consider blockchain and art. And what about blockchain sports and art? If you're already confused, you're not alone. Over the past two years, we've seen an increase in the mention and use of NFTs as they apply to the blockchain, sports, art, and other digital worlds. NFT stands for non-fungible token. A non-fungible token is, simply put, a unique digital asset, like artwork, that's stored on a digital ledger called blockchain. As a token, it functions like Bitcoin. But unlike Bitcoin, the non-fungible descriptor means that it's unique and can't be replaced with something else. In other words, one NFT is different from another. NFTs can be used to represent items such as photos, videos, audios, and other types of digital files and assets. So, I had a lot of questions about how this works, how you value it. And so, I decided to go to the expert. CoinFlip is the largest crypto ATM provider in the United States. As CoinFlip's co founder and president, Ben Weiss guides the company's long term business strategy. Provides financial oversight and maintains strong relationships with banks and regulatory bodies. So, I've asked Ben to the show today to chat about NFTs. Ben, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, there's a lot that I think folks want to know about NFTs. So, we're going to try to distill it as much as we can today. But let's kind of start with the basics. So, I kind of mentioned in the intro that Each NFT can be bought and sold just like physical assets, but the blockchain allows for the ownership and validity of each to be tracked. So, can you explain to our listeners how you track ownership of an
1: NFT? Well, on the blockchain, it's the most transparent thing in the world. And that's while there's a lot of hype about NFTs and some of the prices and all that stuff, if you actually look at the technology, It's sort of revolutionary of what it's doing, where you can have transparent tracking and recording of ownership of assets such as basketball cards, artwork, all these things that were harder to verify and authenticate 10 or 15 years ago. So, while there's a lot of focus on the price, the underlying technology is actually revolutionary and going to change how collectibles are basically authenticated traded, and verified.
0: And since you mentioned value, I think that's one of the things that's really confusing to folks, especially because we're hearing about these really big dollars. So how do you establish the value of the asset?
1: I guess the same way the value is established, of anything else, the supply and demand with the marketplace. And while the value of stuff is, it's an early market, so there's a lot of volatility. But as we see this marketplace mature, the prices will actually probably be more transparent and more accurate because with NFTs, you can see exactly you know, where the asset is, that it's authentic, the, you know, the scarcity of it, where with like basketball cards or artwork, there's issues with fraud or verifying it. Also with the blockchain and NFTs, you can see all the historical prices, that piece of art or that card was sold at the past very easily. So there'll actually be better price information, better price discovery. And as this market matures in the long term, it'll actually be a more efficient marketplace than the current marketplaces for basketball cards or artwork or things like that.
0: So let's talk about using basketball cards as an example, kind of talk about how that is transparent, because I think folks who maybe are used to only seeing the value of their Bitcoin online as, you know, it appears in say Coinbase's platform might not understand how it's recorded. So if you have a basketball card that you have um, put up for sale, let's say, and uh, we're we're going to go ahead and, and treat it as an NFT on the blockchain, how how can a person who is looking at it understand what you just said about historical value and current value? like How does that appear to somebody who's not familiar with that?
1: Mm -hmm. So for instance, basketball cards with uh, Mark Cuban and NBA Top Shot, there's a marketplace where there's buyers and sellers for these cards. You could look at any card. You can see how rare it is. You can see how much supply there is of it because a lot of the price is going to be determined by scarcity and you know what that scarcity is. And then you can also see what other people are buying the same exact cards for. So it's not like, you know, you meet a random person at Starbucks or you look on eBay to see what the price of the card is. You know, you're sort of guessing. But when you go on NBA Top Shot and you see exactly what all these other people are buying, the cards for what price and the supply and how rare it is, that's how you actually get a fair and more transparent price.
0: You actually brought up something that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with, which is this idea that there are marketplaces, NFT marketplaces. I think that when folks were talking about this a few years ago, it seemed a lot more, I think, technologically complex because I think people thought that they had to be able to read digital ledgers in a different kind of way. But I, I think that there's an understanding now. And I, you know, I think one of the people who have who have kind of Made it more mainstream for understanding about the marketplaces is, is is Mark Cuban, yeah because he has been very vocal about the use of nFTs and has um, I believe he's put his assets up that he his nFTs up on a marketplace
1: yeah, and a great thing about the nFTs too is you know it's real and genuine, and if you actually look at the high end art market and things like that. Experts who are supposed to verify the authenticity of artwork and things like that, they actually get fooled more than you think. So that's another plus of the NFT market. But people like Mark Cuban have really brought NFTs to the masses. And I think they're doing a great service. And NFTs, in a way, are almost more accessible to the general public than Bitcoin because Bitcoin's amazing. But, you know, it's a monetary asset. Some people might not have money to buy it. Some people might, you know, they don't even invest or stuff like that. You know, most people are fans of something or whether you know it or not, you participate in some sort of collectibles market, whether it's artwork, whether it's sports related, whether it's in-game items for video games. Almost every single sort of digital property, even non-digital property, can be represented In an NFT, so in a way, the NFT market is going to touch more people than the Bitcoin market is, because everyone, in some way or not, likes something or participates in something that can be represented in an NFT.
0: And when you talked about verification, I know that um, that was actually one of the I found it really interesting. Nike has a system called CryptoKicks, and they actually use NFTs to verify authenticity of actual physical sneakers. Um, which you know is a huge bootleg market like everybody wants the high-end sneakers. Um, not everybody can afford them so there's a lot of knockoffs. So Nike actually a couple of years ago had crypto kicks where they would verify that the sneakers were actually authentic that when you bought them they they were what the, they said that they were. Um, and then the the customer actually got a virtual version <laughs> as well of the sneaker. so it is it is interesting when you mention that it kind of it's for everybody, is I think what you said, and it's true because you it could be from sneakers to as you mentioned digital artwork because you know not everybody is ponying up six million dollars for artwork, but people do invest in sneakers, um, they do invest in baseball cards, basketball cards. I was actually really fascinated about the kind of the creative ways that people are coming up with using NFTs, and there is a tennis player, Alexandra who earlier this year has offered NFT buyers the lifetime rights to part of her right arm. It's actually the section of the arm just above her elbow. It's six by three. And it's kind of like a billboard. She's basically said like the highest bidder, I will put anything on it. It can stay blank and you could own it. You could put art on it or a tattoo. She does have some restrictions Uh, It can't be racist or extremist. And she said that it can't um, have anything that has to do with gambling or betting because that would be against pro tennis rules. But otherwise, you can actually buy a piece of her arm. Like, it is kind of fascinating to think about what's next in that regard.
1: Yeah. And it is really amazing. And athletes and creators and all these people are going to be able to monetize themselves in ways that they could never monetize themselves before and in super creative ways. And if you think about music or sports or anything that's sort of creative with like individual people instead of corporations, they the creators and the people who actually do the work, there's a lot of middlemen. You know, there's the agents, there's the record labels, there's the sports leagues, there's the unions they have to pay dues to. And this allows them to go directly to the public and sort of monetize their likeness, their image, their future performance. It's really cool to see content creators get rewarded for stuff like that. Even people who make memes, there's people who have made memes that have gone on to be the most famous to memes. And those people never saw a penny from that because there is no way to essentially put like digital ownership over that. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy for content creators and NFTs.
0: Well, one of the other things that's that's interesting about that is that it also lets them kind of establish the parameters and the control up front, even for resales. And I know that Mark Cuban has actually, that's been something that he has been um, pretty vocal about because he's actually charging royalties on secondary sales so that when um, those items are resold, he still gets a piece of it. So it's not just at the beginning that you can get paid, you can actually basically create a stream of royalty payments for future. Yeah, which
1: I think is way more fair too. I mean, think about like a Michael Jordan basketball jersey. He got his cut the first time it was sold, but you know that thing might be sold 10, 20 times. You should get a cut every single time it's sold because that's his likeness, his image. So I think the fact that you can get paid on the secondary sales, except it, that you can get paid on the secondary sales and not just the first time something is sold and then never again. I think that's great, too. And I think that's super innovative. And again, NFTs actually making the marketplace way more efficient, way more fair, especially in the long run when the noise sort of settles.
0: One of the criticisms of NFTs, though, is the volatility, right? That some of these assets, I mean, it's also the benefit, I guess, that it happens so, so quickly. But some of the criticism has kind of focused around um, how quickly the pricing can change and how quickly the value can change. That's really interesting from a tax perspective because of the tax consequences, because since it's an asset, there are gonna be tax consequences when it is sold or resold, like we were just talking about. So what are ways, or, I mean, we've talked about the fact that it's transparent, but what are ways that people who are interested in kind of wading in a little bit You know, they want want to see what it's all about. Like if they're worried about tax consequences, how how do they track the value of what they paid for an item? And then how do they track the value of what they cash in on? And then maybe those those future royalties. Like, is there a is there a it's not the same? And I I actually honestly don't know how the NFT marketplaces work. So maybe you can shed some light on this. But obviously, if you go to a platform like Coinbase. You know, they are very keyed into right now making sure that their customers have the information that they need to be tax compliant because this is something that the IRS has been very vocal about. Is there the same kind of tracking in the marketplace or is this something that taxpayers have to track on their own?
1: For now, there isn't an automatic way yet because it's so new. But sort of how Coinbase is now, that's where it'll be in two or three years. And if you think of how hard it was to keep track of your Bitcoin holdings and tax stuff in 2017, 2016, 2015, even on a super reputable place like Coinbase, there really was no automatic way to do it. That's sort of where we are right now in the NFTs, especially since most NFTs are held by people and are self-custodied. So people should keep very good records in the short term, but in the long term, I think you will see automated ways that easily take care of this. Just like when you trade on Robinhood, they tell you sort of exactly how much profit you made. And Coinbase is a centralized financial institution. NFTs are usually held by individuals and self-custody. But I think over time, as the marketplace matures, you'll see... The taxes basically become pretty much automatically calculated, as well as the marketplaces, too. Like, another thing I wanted to point out is it was like to access Bitcoin in 2016 or buy Bitcoin in 2016 was pretty complicated. You know, that's why we started the ATM company. And over time, you know, there's Trezors now, there's Ledger, there's wallets on your phone. It's become a lot more user friendly. So not only is the taxes going to become easier to keep track of over time, but the actual marketplaces are going to become a lot more user-friendly and geared to people who don't even necessarily know anything about tech.
0: Gotcha. And so it actually is interesting that you, you kind of did the flashback to 2015, 2016. The IRS, of course, came out with its first rule guidance, 2014, and it became imperative for taxpayers to start tracking what they were doing because it was very clear that the IRS was making this a priority. What kinds of enforcement concerns do you think taxpayers should have right now? You and I mentioned right before the uh, we started taping, you know, the, the IRS has made no secret of the fact that they believe that there is some avoidance going on with respect to digital currency it's very clear that they're going to extend this i think to digital assets other digital assets like nfts what what kinds of things would you advise people to be thinking about as they are again dipping their toe into whether it is using coinflip or coinbase or going to an nft marketplace
1: yeah so i mean the obvious thing is if you turn something into us dollars and it hits your bank account you definitely 100% have to pay taxes. It's very easy for them to track. The first thing they do in an audit is look at bank statements. That being said, even if you're going from crypto to NFT or NFT to crypto or things like that, you should still, while the IRS is definitely behind on that and they're sort of just getting their hands around Bitcoin, you should definitely keep good records and you should be conservative in how you do your taxes. Because keep in mind, Everything is on the blockchain and they might be behind now, but there's nothing, you know, in two years, it's still on the blockchain. In three years, it's still on the blockchain. So if you do some crypto to crypto conversions or things like that, and you think you're in the clear because, oh, I made it through the year. I got nothing like, you know, they look years down the road. So you should just assume they're going to see it and you should keep good records and be on the up and up. And if you definitely sell something into U.S. dollars 100%, you have to pay taxes. You know, that's the main fruit that they will find.
0: Right. And when I um, first started uh, writing about blockchain, I was actually a little bit behind because I, one of my colleagues at the time at Forbes, Laura Shen, was um, covering it quite heavily. And one of the appeals at that time was the idea that it could be anonymous. It's becoming less anonymous, obviously, as it becomes more mainstream. Do you think that the, you know, it becoming more mainstream and it becoming more regulated makes it more appealing? Or do you think that it, um, you know, again, kind of the early appeal was that, you, uh, that there was some level of anonymity. And, and again, as, as we get more regulation and as we, um, it becomes more mainstream, that's not as true as it was before.
1: People talk about the anonymity. It's never really been anonymous. The point about Bitcoin is that it's fully transparent. It's scarce. I think the anonymous stuff in the beginning, like in 2015, the people who use Bitcoin were the ones who were forced to use it. Now, like the real use case of Bitcoin is that it's transparent. It's scarce. Government can't print more of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the use case. Less than 1% of transactions in crypto, according to a Chainalysis study, have anything to do with illicit stuff. And I think, I mean, it's more traceable in some ways than bank accounts. You know, you could see everything on the blockchain throughout all of history. You don't have to, you know, if you're doing wire transfers to international jurisdictions behind shell corporations and stuff like that, you know, the government has a way harder time tracking that down stuff on the blockchain. And in this country, you're still lot to buy properties anonymously. So the idea that like people would use crypto or blockchain for anonymous things, I mean it hasn't been true in 4 or 5 years.
0: Well, and also I think that the kind of the characterization of it though, I think a lot of people especially people who aren't used to it believe still that there's some level of anonymity. I think that's why you know when we look at the enforcement side especially on crypto, when you look at the enforcement side there's kind of two camps right like there's people who didn't report cuz it's very clear i mean it's very clear people were not reporting i mean that that's not in dispute the question is why right and so it's very clear that there were and i think it's a fair statement to say that there were a lot of people who honestly did not understand how and when and and in what capacity to report and and i think a lot of that could be shouldered
1: you know there is some intentional but there is also some people who literally You know, you're day trading crypto and you're just having fun, or you know, you don't even understand it and you're just taking some profits. You know, you don't get a 10.99. I guess with Coinbase now you do, but like back in the day, you wouldn't get a 10.99. Like even Robinhood, I would forget to pay my taxes for Robinhood if they didn't send me, and for Vanguard if they didn't send me a tax document at the end of the year.
0: Right, and and the IRS, uh, you know, has been way behind on this, and that's that was kind of my point was that I do believe that there are people who didn't report because they didn't know how, where, and why. Like They didn't know what was reportable, what wasn't reportable, do I report? And there's still even confusion about that. We had um, a guest a few weeks ago to talk about the, the problem with the newest FAQ from the IRS, where they say, if you're just holding it, you don't have to report it, which seems logical, but that's not what the instructions say on the 1040. So, IRS has not been consistent. So I do think it's created problems for users who wish to be honest and are finding it difficult finding it difficult.
1: It's very good when the government makes it hard to because of lack of clarity to when people want to comply and they legitimately can't because the government, you know, sometimes gives contradictory instructions. And I see it not just with the IRS, but sometimes you have different agencies, you know, claiming jurisdiction and giving two totally different guidance on stuff.
0: Right. Well, and that's another uh, interesting point in terms of, um, you know, when you talk, and and it's something that people have talked about for a while with respect to currency, and it's something I can see where NFTs are going to run into the same issue is, you know, where is something located? You know, we've talked about the kinds of things that have been made available as NFTs. Um, You know, obviously for a tennis player, it's where she physically is, right? But what about a, a digital you know, version of a Nike shoe?
1: The thing is, every single law is literally written with like physical location in mind. Right. How do you apply these laws, not even just to crypto, but I've, even with the internet, the last 10 years, you've seen like, you know, what city, what county, what federal district has jurisdiction, even what country has jurisdiction. Right. We need to rethink the whole idea of even like state and jurisdiction and stuff like that for the digital marketplace.
0: Right. I mean, I, I do think it's, you know, it has implications beyond, as you mentioned, just tax. It's, you know, what if there's a dispute? Where do you go? You know, which which state or country's laws apply? I think there's a lot yet to be worked out.
1: We don't want a patchwork where there's a thousand even with the internet, like even with our ATMs and you know, operating in forty six states. Like you don't necessarily, each state sort of like there are reasons California might have different regulations than Wyoming that are legitimate reasons because, you know, they're different states, not one size fits all. But -hmm. you don't want a situation in the country or in the world where there's a thousand different jurisdictions and innovation is getting hampered because people have to deal with a thousand different jurisdictions. There should be some sort of consistency and some sort of framework and some sort of rules that everyone just sort of agrees to play by.
0: Well, and since you mentioned the, the state variations, how is flip set up in, in terms of, like, are you subject to banking regulations in every state? Like, how does that work?
1: We're subject to the Bank Secrecy Act. And, like, you know, we're regulated just like a bank is regulated, federal. Okay. And then at the state level, there's a whole host of things. There's money transmission laws. There's privacy regulations. There's disclosures. You know, our our ATM screens with disclosures to customers in uh, Georgia versus Washington state could be different, or California could be different uh, depending on the um, local and state guidelines for stuff, even as simple as like privacy regulations. So you really have to keep an eye on every single state and everywhere you operate. You know, we do it and we understand it, but and we're okay, because we're an ATM company. And it's, you know, it's still pretty straightforward. But now think about NFTs. You don't even know what state they are located in. You could have right. multiple different states claiming jurisdiction over it. Like with my ATMs, while there's 50 states, I, you at least know that the, each ATM is in a specific state, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas NFTs, who even knows who claims right. jurisdiction?
0: Yeah. So where do you kind of see NFTs going? Like, what do you think is sort of the next step? I know that, you know, again, going back to, to Mark Cuban, just because he's been so vocal about these things, he's mentioned that he's envisioning that they could, uh, they could use it to sell tickets, season tickets to games. Like, where do you think it could go next?
1: I mean, I honestly think there's unlimited potential. These artists, these players, I mean, these people collecting stuff, they're here for different reasons than the Bitcoin people. And like I said, it's sort of a broader market in a way. And the NFTs are evolving as we've seen with NBA Top Shot and they're reaching a general audience beyond Bitcoin. We've seen art collections, memorabilia, even in-game items. So I think if you really want to talk about the long term, every single property whether digital like a basketball card or even shoes that aren't digital nike shoes everything is going to be represented in some way by an nft
0: And that's pretty amazing to think about when you know people didn't even know what it was a couple of years ago
1: it's mind blowing once people like there's a lot of noise about prices right now just how there was a lot of noise about prices of bitcoin in 2017 But when the dust settles and you actually look at the tech and how it's going to change society, how it's going to make marketplaces fair, how it's going to make marketplaces safer, more efficient, how it's going to give more leeway to artists, to content creators, to athletes who before had seven layers of middlemen taking cuts from them of their money, this is all going to eliminate that. And it's actually going to make the world fairer and more efficient and the marketplace fairer and more efficient.
0: But well, that's a really cool idea. So, you know, fingers crossed <laughs> that it ends up going that way. Thank you so much. This has been really, this has been really helpful. Um, I think my listeners hopefully have a better idea now about NFTs and what it means and what they have to keep track of. If you wanted to be found um, and people wanted to find you either on the internet or social media, where would you send them?
1: So Twitter, Instagram, my handle is Ben BenCoinFlip.
0: Great. And we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes so that people can find you. Thanks again. This was terrific.
1: Yeah, this was a great show. Thanks so much for having me. And it's going to be super uh, interesting to see what happens the next couple of years, both with crypto and NFTs. And hopefully the government can provide some clarity and be a positive force for innovation and not something that's holding it back.
0: I think we all hope that. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thanks so much.
0: I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.